you've got a Bible, turn to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we've been walking through this series uh, called Carols of the King. If you're just jumping in with us, uh, we're so glad that you're here from out of town or however else you're coming in today, uh, just as a guest with us. Uh, sharing this morning with you, what we're doing is we've been looking at these original Christmas carols. Uh, in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke, there are four different songs that break forth as uh, different people get the news of the arrival of Jesus, the Son of God. And so we looked week one, uh, back right after Thanksgiving at Mary's song, uh, the mother of Jesus, as she receives word that she's going to deliver into the world, the Savior, uh, she breaks forth into song, and it was a song of humility and hope. And then the second week was the song of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, who'd be the forerunner to Jesus. He was a disillusioned, disenchanted priest, uh, frustrated with years of infertility, and then he gets word that his wife is pregnant with what will be John the Baptist to prepare the way of Jesus. And at his birth, his tongue is loosed and he sings a song, a song of a heart thrilled with renewed faith. And then last week, we looked at the song of Simeon, an elderly man near death who'd been given a promise that before he died, he would see the Lord. And when Jesus comes into the temple to be dedicated, this old man near death breaks out into song. And it was a song of fulfillment and mission. So today we're going to look at the fourth of these songs to wrap up what we've been talking about. It's easily the most popular of these songs. Uh, it's one that is probably most appropriate to look at on this eve of Christmas Eve, and it's the song of the angels, the song of the angels. So if you've got a Bible, Luke chapter 2, um, the song comes in verses 13 and 14, but I want to give a running start of this whole narrative and begin Luke chapter two, verse one, read on down through verse 20. The words will be on the screen behind me. I'll read this, pray, and then we'll jump in. The voice of our King Jesus speaks to us like this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there, was a, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And an angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy for all the people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby swaddled in cloths and laid in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, singing together, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste 
and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told him. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of God to us. Let's pray together. God, we come to you today in the name of Jesus. And we ask now by the power of your spirit, you would help us approach your word and understand. God, I pray you would protect us from the familiarity of a passage like this. I pray you'd protect us from sort of the mechanics of the Christmas celebration. You would anchor us down into the real living and active word that comes forward to shape us, heal us, teach us, and form us. God, for the various ways we're in the room today, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you speak and would you meet, would you address, and would you, would you calm anxious hearts? Pray in Jesus' strong name. And we all said, amen. That might've been a little louder than Charlie's recommendation for the amen. Well, I'd venture to say that um, there's been a moment for all of us, probably multiple moments if you were given truth serum and willing to be honest, where you have found yourself laughing at a joke that you didn't get, yeah? Where you find yourself in a moment, a social setting where uh, you weren't, maybe you weren't listening, you know, like you were just sort of there and your mind was drifting and then you sort of notice everyone else around you is laughing. And so you feel the social pressure to not be noticed as the one who maybe wasn't listening and your pretentious self-absorbedness. So you kind of look around and you go, ah, that's so funny, right? And you're like, I have no idea what we're laughing at. Or maybe there is a joke told that you didn't get or a joke that was told that you just didn't think was funny, but then because of the social pressure, you find yourself laughing anyway, and then you're mad at yourself for laughing at something you don't wanna laugh at just because there's social pressure and you have this ongoing internal conflict. Why am I laughing, right? All of us have had moments like this. I know for me, they come uh, more often than I wanna admit, especially when people wanna start talking about movies. Um, when people, especially this, this holiday season, movies are like a big deal. Let's watch movies. Let's talk about movies. Let's just hole up for days and watch movies. And um, that's a great thing. And people talk about movies and want to quote movies. And all the time this happens, people start sharing their funniest or favorite quotes and they all laugh. And I laugh too, but I usually don't know the quotes. And I usually don't know the movies they come from. I don't know much about movies. I don't. I don't watch movies and not because I have some sort of weirdo conviction about not watching movies. I don't watch movies because whenever they come on, I fall asleep. I, uh, you put me in a room that's nicely air conditioned or well heated, however may be the case, in a comfortable chair with a glowing screen in my face and you turn the lights down softly, it's nap time for me. That is straight up nap time for me. And like the way I kind of judge movies is did I stay awake, right? Most movies are like, oh, that was a good movie because I had a great nap and all of that, right? And so I typically don't know the things people are quoting because I just go to sleep. Early on in our dating relationship, my wife asked me, how come you don't take me to movies? And it was like, because I want to stay awake when I'm with you, right? I don't want to pay $29.50 for a couple of tickets at the movie theater uh, to go just take a good, that's not good stewardship. I'm trying to show you I know how to manage my money, right? Um, and, and so when people start talking about this, I end up laughing just because I don't want to have the conversation that I'm lame and I haven't seen the movie. Well, I mentioned this this morning because I think that Christmas is one of these times 
that's like laughing at a joke that you don't get. It can be one of those seasons of the year where it's like you're laughing at a joke you don't get. You're laughing along at a joke that maybe you do get it, but it doesn't strike you in the same way it seems to be striking everyone else. But most of us find ourselves maybe sometimes against our will or we just muster it up uh, just to not have to answer any questions and we smile along anyways because we feel like we're supposed to. And so over the next week, over the next few days, here's what's gonna be happening in your life, all over our city, all over the country. People are gonna be getting together. Homes are gonna be filled up, right? People are gonna be throwing parties, sharing meals together, exchanging gifts. People are gonna arrange moments because people are in town to see old friends, tell old stories, reflect on things, and not really know why they're doing it. Like it's all gonna happen. All the mechanics, all the pomp, all the circumstance is gonna be happening, but maybe it just feels like, well, this is just kind of something you do to end out a calendar year. It's just the kind of space we've given ourselves. There's vacation to use up. There's some days off and this is as good a time as any to, to do these sorts of things. And I don't just say that because there's a world out there who doesn't believe things like we believe. It's really not an us versus them thing. Laughing at a joke you don't get when it comes to Christmas, if you use that illustration, is also true for Christians, right? It's also true for us this time of year. There's so much familiarity with the Christmas narrative. There's so much familiarity, even with the scripture I read at the beginning. You don't even have to be a part of church to know the scripture I just read. If you've watched Charlie Brown Christmas, Linus has his great moment in the spotlight, right? He steps up and so tender, he reads Luke chapter two. There's a kind of familiarity and maybe it strikes you, maybe it doesn't, or maybe you know it's supposed to strike you and so you just smile along anyway. Wherever you are today, here's what I wanna do with this passage. So familiar to us. We're so well acquainted with it. It's the song of the angels and I wanna try to make very, very plain for us today why celebration isn't just something that we've made up. It's not just a commercial hoax over us. It actually is the response to have. Like it it actually is the right thing to do and there's reason behind it. And so there's three parts to our text today. I wanna look at the announcement that's made to us, the sign that's given to us and the song that's sung to us. The announcement, the sign, the song. And we'll look back at verse seven for the announcement. It says this, She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Okay, so this is the official birth announcement of Jesus. No Instagram posts, no mailers sent out of your favorite little newborn picture, right? No, no jingle that goes throughout the maternity ward in the hospital to let you know a newborn baby, right? This is the birth announcement. Instead of all of that, the glory of the Lord comes down and like encamps around these shepherds. And an angel comes forward and begins to speak a message from God on behalf of God about the son of God. And it freaks the shepherds out. Like stone cold, what is going on? And and don't miss the response of the shepherds. Just think about how you would respond if you were them. Going about your daily duties, going about your regular routine, 
Maybe, uh, maybe it's in the middle of the night and you heard a sound, a strange sound in the living room. And so you get up to go check out what it is and you walk in the living room and then like, right? I don't know how it would go. I imagine that's the sound. The glory of the Lord drops and then an angel begins speaking to you. You're scared. Like, did I just have a bad burrito last night? Like, I'm not, what is going on right now? You're scared. And not just because you're startled and like, I didn't see that coming. You're scared because of the glory of God. The glory of God. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod. It means weight or significance. The weight, the significance, the grandeur of God has swirled around you. There's no hiding. You're like, I'm in my PJs, man. I'm not ready for this moment. There's no hiding. There's no covering up. There's no negotiating. There's just anything that you didn't want him to see, he sees speaking there. You're scared, filled with great fear. But notice what happens in verse 10. When the angel speaks, it says, the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Okay, so track with this. Don't let familiarity hijack this from you. With the presence that could rightly judge those shepherds and crush them. Instead, he opens his mouth and the first words of the angel are, fear not. Easy for you to say, Gabriel, I'm not used to this experience, right? Don't be afraid. What are you afraid of? If God were to confront you in a moment of surprise, what would you be afraid of? What would be exposed? The first words out of the angel's mouth are, don't be afraid. This is the most repeated command in all of the Bible. Like a command, not a suggestion, not advice, like God, like the foremost authority, the one who has final verdict, the one who should rightly cause fear comes forward and says, hey, don't do that. Be afraid. Look at the next thing the angel says. Behold, behold, pay attention. Everything that is pulling at you from a thousand different directions and distracting you to look a different way, the angel interrupts that and says, don't fear, behold, look, wipe your eyes, clean the wax out of your ears, spike up for a second, behold. I think that one of the reasons that we're often afraid is that we're beholden to a different voice, a different message a different narrative. Drag your attention off of the things that you're fixed on and on to the presence of God and here, fear not, behold, look at what he says next. I bring you good news of great joy, gospel of joy. This is the news of a happy God. This is the news of a happy God. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, right? This is not, uh, God, God is not a, a cosmic bummer. God is not a killjoy. He's not ZZ Top in the sky waiting to pounce on you with all kinds of no fun zone regulations. It's not who God is. 
I bring to you good news of great joy. This is the smile of holiness himself. But sadly, right, Christianity isn't often received this way. This is not a message of, hey, clean yourself up. This is not a message of impatience. Why aren't you pulling yourself together already? This is not a message that brings news of great threats. This is not a message of news that brings great ultimatums. You better figure this out or else. This isn't, I bring you news of great ultimatums. This is a message of good news, of great joy, a message of kindness, redemption, grace, patience, presence, healing, joy, and a thousand other words I could name and I still wouldn't have enough. And look at what he says at the end. So who's, fear not, don't be afraid. Look, hold it, hold it. Good news, joy, anchor in for who? That will be for all the people, all kinds of people. No discrimination, no profiling, no exceptions, no asterisks, no disqualifications from any background, from any race, from for all who would hear, for all. No strings attached. This isn't like a timeshare spiel, right? Listen and then on the back end, pay. No, I bring you good news, great joy for all people, all people. Listen, I break it down this way because I was anchored here this week. In this one statement is the sum of all of Christianity. If you wanna know what the Bible is about in one sentence, here it is. Don't be afraid, hear from God. Don't be afraid. Look, lift your eyes for a second off of yourself, outward from yourself. Lift, fear not, don't be scared. I've got good news for you. It lifts the soul, it thrills the heart with great joy for all people. And look at verse 11, because we get the specifics of the news. Look at what it says. For unto you this day is born in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. So, okay, so hang with me again. Don't let, don't let what you know about this cause you to tune out. This is a real night in a real city, a city a lot like our city or Midwest city or Bethany, you name your town. In the city of David, Bethlehem, according to Google Maps, I looked it up, it's about 7,000 miles from here. As the crow flies, that'd be a long flight for the crow, right? And the angel announces that a child is born, right? Who is the long-awaited king. He's the Christ. The shepherds, Jewish, would have gone, okay, we've been waiting for this one. The, the long-awaited king, the Christ has come. And then we hear he's a savior. Okay, so God is sending the, the long-awaited Christ, the king. He's a savior. That means he's gonna come to deal with sins. They're looking forward to that because they're tired of these old priests making sacrifices over and over again that do anything for their sins. So, okay, the king has come. It's Christ. He's a savior. And then the last words, the shocker of this announcement is we find out that he's also the Lord. You didn't throw that term around in the Jewish community. This is a term that was reserved exclusively for God himself. They didn't see this coming. They knew a king was coming. 
They had hoped for a savior to come. They knew God was going to deal with sins, but they didn't know it was going to be God himself. So don't turn this off. Like this is major headline stuff. Like this is not a myth. This isn't folklore. This is not a fable. This is real life on a real night in a real city. This is breaking news. This is news ticker stuff flying across the bottom of your TV screen. Pardon me for interrupting your regularly programmed TV show. God has landed. Holiness has invaded us. The divine has dropped behind enemy lines. He's here. A child has been born in Bethlehem. God has sent his anointed king. He's coming to deal with sins. And this child is God himself. Okay, put yourself in the shepherd's shoes. What is this? I was just watching my flocks by night surprised with a newsflash. What is this? Do you you feel how bizarre this must have sounded to them? Like how bizarre this even sounds in this room right now, like bizarre news. Dorothy Sayers in her book, The Greatest Drama Ever Stayed, she talks about it like this. Whatever reason, for whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering, the subject of sorrows and death, He, talking about God, has had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole of the human experience. From the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money into the worst of horrors of pain, humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man... He played the man and he was born in poverty and died in disgrace. And he thought all of it was worthwhile. The announcement, God has come. But this announcement is accompanied with the sign. So you can imagine the angels would have thought, man, I'm making this up. I'm having some sort of hallucination. I'm out in the fields by night, like just had some bad hummus the day before. Who knows, you know? And just in case the shepherds didn't mistake this for something weird to happen. The angels wanted to make sure that they know that this is legit. So I've got a sign for you, they say, and look at the sign, verse 12. The sign, the the conclusive clue that this is real. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth lying in a manger. Okay, this is a part of the Christmas narrative that you're like me, I've just flown over this. I don't stop at this. This is not something that I come and go, oh, the sign. Like, you see what's going on here? Like, there's a sign. there's, There's a divine sort of clue, conclusive evidence, artifact. What I'm saying is not a joke. It's not a dream. We're not making this up. A sign. And it's this sign that caused the shepherds to make haste to go see what was happening with this baby. It says that this sign would be that they would find a baby swaddled in cloth lying in a manger. Have you ever stopped to think about that for a second? What makes this a sign? Like what makes this so significant? Why would this have been, oh, well now I know what you're talking about. There's a baby here in a trough. I get it. To me, that just feels like, that's kind of crazy. Why are you here? Get out of here, 
right? Go, go do that birthing thing somewhere else. This is a sign, a sign that this is legitimately what God is doing. Have you thought about this? A little historical context that's been helpful for me here. Just outside of the city, in Beth, uh, city of Bethlehem where Mary and Joseph were, there was a shepherding community that was especially trained by Jewish rabbis in raising sheep to meet the specifications for temple sacrifices, right? According to Levitical law, Jewish law, the sacrifices for sin were to be a pure, spotless lamb without blemish. And so out in their pastures, out in this, in in the region of Bethlehem, outside of the city, out in their pastures, they had built this tower built these shepherding towers that the shepherds could climb up into and at the top of it in harsh weather conditions, they'd be protected from the conditions, but they would allow them to watch over their flocks. At the bottom floor of the tower was a place that was cut out where they would bring the ewes in to the lower part of the tower during lambing season. And during lambing season, they would deliver the baby lambs in this part to, to be protected from the elements in a safe environment. And after delivery, they would take the males and they would wrap them in cloth, the male lambs. They would wrap them in cloth to keep from thrashing against themselves as baby lambs so as to meet the specifications for temple sacrifices, to be pure and spotless and without blemish from thrashing against themselves. So they're protected and wrapped up tightly in swaddling cloth. And then they would lay them very gently in a cove that was cut out of the limestone tower called a manger. They would lay them here. This allowed them to be in a protected environment. These sheep were literally born and handpicked to be sin offerings every year at Passover. That, that, that's what was happening. These shepherds were trained to recognize a Passover lamb according to Jewish customs. So now go back to the sign that the angel said. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. When the shepherds heard this, they would have known exactly what the angel was talking about. They were Jewish men trained in Jewish customs. They knew what they were waiting for. They knew what was gonna, I mean, they knew the scriptures. All kinds of baby were born and swallowed in blankets. That was nothing special. You could have gone into any place all throughout Jerusalem and found babies being born and swallowed in blankets. That would have hardly been the sign. But to these trained rabbinical shepherds, a baby swaddled, in a manger that was made for sacrificial lambs for sin offerings, at this point, light bulbs start going off. From day one of the life of Jesus, God the Father was shouting loud and clear what his beloved son had come to do. This is why John the Baptist shouts, when Jesus rolls up onto the scene, it's time for public ministry. John shouts, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was born to die. There were no detours. There was never a mixed signal of who he is and what he came to do. God, the son entered into our wreckage of a sinful world to die in our place for our sins. Hang on that for a second. The King of Kings was born to die for his rebel subjects. The judge stepped off of his bench to take judgment for charges stacked against us 
no strings attached. The Prince of Peace was slaughtered at the hands of raging sinners to pacify the wrath of God for our sins for all time. Hebrews 7, 26 and 27 says it this way. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Man. So the announcement comes forward, right? Bring you good news of great joy with the sign, a baby swaddled in cloth, lying in a manger, who will be the sacrifice to end all sacrifice, who will be the one to cry out, it is finished, sin done once for all with those who would look on him. And then this is when the song breaks out. This is where our text ends today. This is sort of the story behind the music, if you want to think of it that way. The angels were there, verse 13. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. I love this language because it's like one angel came to deliver the news. As soon as he's delivered, like all the others, like I'm here, I'm here for this party. I'm all in on this, right? So a whole host of them show up And then they just bust out in song, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. They could hardly wait to jump in on this chorus. This was the way of redemption that was concealed, hidden from the prophets of old, right? First Peter talks about what's happening here in the birth of Jesus, the savior of the world, who is Christ the Lord. This is the mystery into which first Peter tells us the angels long to look. How's God gonna do this? Like how's God, a holy God, gonna remain uncompromised in his holiness and reconcile with guilty, dirty sinners like you and me? How can God stay uncompromised and unstained in his holiness with touching people like us? How can he do it? This is why they sing. And God does this not by demanding that you and I make payment for our debt, but instead he does it by paying off the debt himself. He remains integrous in his own holiness, not by asking us, you better work, you better work off all those wrongs you've done. You better work your way into back into my good graces through a bunch of religious effort. That's not how it happens. He offers us every good grace freely through the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. What kind of grace is this? What kind of love is this? Here's what's happening at Christmas. God is shouting loud and clear. I'm for you, not against you. I'm not against you. I don't have something out against you. I'm for you. This is why the angels erupt. Glory be to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And so as we land today, Peace among men with whom he is pleased. What what does this mean? Who's God pleased with? All who would look to Jesus. All who would look to his son, the sacrificial lamb. All who would behold the lamb of God. Romans 10, 13. For everyone, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. John 6, 37. Whoever comes to me, Jesus says, 
I'll never cast out, ever. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world.